0: Hi, and welcome to the EP Edit. This is a podcast where we discuss topics in the field of cardiac electrophysiology. I'm Jodi Elrod, Managing Editor of EP Lab Digest. In today's episode, we're joined by Dr. Khaldun Tarakji to discuss the opportunities and challenges associated with the use of wearable technologies in the EP practice. Dr. Tarakji is an electrophysiologist and the Associate Section Head of Cardiac Electrophysiology at the Cleveland Clinic. He is also the founder and director of the Center for Digital Health and Telemedicine for the Heart and Vascular Institute at the Cleveland Clinic. So, what are some of the ways that the digital health landscape has evolved for EP patients and healthcare professionals?
1: Right, yeah, thank you, Jody, for having me. Well, uh, first of all, uh, digital health is affecting all aspects of uh, medicine, but uh, probably electrophysiology has been on the forefront. And that's mainly, has been with the wide availability of smart devices and truly the flood of apps and wearables in particular with the ability of recording ECG. And that's why we've become on the forefront of this digital health revolution, basically. Now, when you pause and think about it, EP, we've been doing digital health for decades. We just never gave it the name. We probably pioneered the concept of remote monitoring through multiple generation of technology for remote monitoring, mainly for patients with cardiac implantable devices, and also with the traditional monitors that uh, we have in our use. Although the ability for direct-to-consumer products that will enable patients to record their rhythm and share it with physicians, it was something that was very novel for us. And for the first time, patients can have some visibility about the data that they're generating.
0: What are some examples of wearable technologies available today, and what additional sensors are currently being developed?
1: Sure. Well, th- there's a lot of devices out there and it's really hard to keep track. And that's probably part of the dilemma that we have that as physicians, we've been on the receiving end of this technology. And it's not unusual for patients to come wearing these devices or purchase these devices. And we have absolutely no idea about what they do or what they function. And the the quick reaction is just to dismiss them with, with busy schedules Although when you pause and think about it, maybe it's a great opportunity for us uh, to think about how we can get advantage of this. So you have mainly a lot of wearables, and most of these devices focus mainly on activity tracking, and there's a lot of devices that can accomplish this. Activity and, and general health is an essential part of any medical encounter, especially for electrophysiology when you need to assess functional assessment. You have a lot of sensors that will enable patients to record their ECG. And rhythm detection mainly in two ways. One is through pulse detection with the technology of, of PPG, when it really monitors the pulse and checks for ir- regularities. And even that process with different devices, it happens through different algorithms. And another wave that actually enables you to record an ECG rhythm strip and some newer devices, multiple lead rhythm strips as well, almost equivalent to an ECG. You have multiple uh, devices to measure weight, body fat, blood pressure. Now, blood pressure cuffs, they've been uh, available in the market forever. They never got the attention, but now you can also record the trend and I have the information uh, transmitted to your physician, pulse oximetry, uh, sleep patterns. A lot is already on the market. Now, I I would caution you that not all of them have been validated and the quality might be different from one device to another. And that's part of the responsibility that we have as researchers and clinicians to assess these products and see what works, what's not, and also see how we can use them to our advantage for better patient care.
0: What are some of the ways that wearables have been especially useful during the pandemic?
1: Yeah, yeah so uh, so first of all, it's important to note that we've recognized the value of these wearables and, and telehealth in general before COVID, and it never came to our mind a pandemic as being one of the reasons why we should pay attention. And I, I think we got to recognize that maybe in electrophysiology. We were at a big of advantage compared to other specialties because we've been doing it. So, for example, we've conducted virtual visits uh, since 2015-16 to some of our patients, especially the atrial fibrillation patients. But when you think about it, Jody, a, a virtual visit should not be just a, a glorified phone conversation with the ability of video conferencing. It needs to be supported by data. And uh, we had a platform, for example, when patients are using their wearable to record their ECG rhythm through their smart devices. And if you couple a virtual visit with data that's getting recorded by the patient over multiple months, I challenge you that will be even more meaningful visit than one in-person visit with one single ECG tracing. So it, it became not just an exotic way of providing care, but really an essential part when we can use these devices to our advantage to care for patients at time when it's really difficult for them to come in person. And even with traditional monitors that we already have on the market, to build a system when we can actually order these monitors remotely and it gets delivered to the patient's home, and then we receive the data. Again, I think it highlights why we were at a big advantage in electrophysiology. This is in addition to all the capabilities of remote monitoring of patients with implantable devices. So again, with the widespread use of virtual visit, uh, these wearables become an essential part to make the virtual visit even more meaningful with lots of data generated by the patient.
0: And so what challenges still exist? Are there concerns about wearable-generated data accuracy and the risk for false positives?
1: Yes, and you're right, Jody. and we always talk about that, the, the difference between the hype around digital health, but when it comes to our day-to-day practice, there's still a big difference between the hype that it generates and clinical adoption of this technology. And there are multiple reasons behind this. First of all, there's a lot of them. I mean, there are thousands and thousands of healthcare apps to the point that it's confusing to the patient and the physicians uh, as well. And many of these products, they, they actually lack even the essential need assessment. Just because you can record a value does not make it meaningful. And some of the products are getting released to the market without any validation. So you need to understand the good and the bad And as you mentioned, they're not always 100% accurate. And that's something that we need to acknowledge and we need to accept. And uh, it's still, even for those devices, for example, that they record the ECG, uh, they're paired with automatic algorithm that provides you with instant interpretation with the ability of detecting atrial fibrillation, but false positive and false negatives can happen. And that's why the physician overread is still important anytime this will lead to change in management. And this is when the issue of having a right workflow that's easy to use uh, it becomes as important as the product itself. It's one thing to release the product to the market, but to embed it in your clinical practice, you need the proper workflow. Uh, again, it's no secret to anybody uh, in our community about physician burden, the flood of data coming to us, and it's really hard to manage and keep up with the, with the demand, but therefore creating a workflow that will provide you with the benefit of these devices in an efficient way, becomes as important as the product itself.
0: So what are some of the ways that wearable technologies can be incorporated into clinical practice?
1: There are many, and I think with the audience of electrophysiology, I think that the biggest one is ECG recording ability. When you think about the atrial fibrillation patient, it's not a one-stop, it's not one visit. It's a chronic condition that involves multiple interventions, multiple uh, medications, uh, cardioversions, and it starts from establishing a diagnosis. Well, we've seen it over and over when patients come complaining of episodic episodes of palpitation and they go through multiple ECGs, multiple emergency room visits. Only it's always Murphy's Law. You send a whole thermometer or a one-week or two-week monitor, and they don't have any episode. and the day that they return the device, they get one episode. So these tools can be of great value to establish a diagnosis. We're all attached with our smartphones, and it's available for you on demand. If the episode is causing symptoms and long enough for the patient to reach out to that wearable and record an ECG, it uh, it is an excellent diagnostic tool. Now, beyond the diagnosis, once you establish the diagnosis, then it can help with the management. It can help patients when they record independently and they go into AFib, they can contact you, you can arrange for cardioversion. I think the biggest advantage for us is with the long-term follow-up, especially for our AFib patients, whether it's after cardioversion or after ablation, we were always limited with the ability for long-term follow-up between even short-term follow-up. Or if you want to look at long-term, we always resort to some implantable devices that could be invasive or or costly. So now with these devices, although they're not continuous, but it can provide you with an ability to see the long-term outcome for any intervention you you provide, whether it's a cardioversion or medication or ablation. Now, some people are going even more innovative, and our colleagues also, they're looking into, for example, the evolution of the concept of pill-in-the-pocket approach. When it looks beyond just using antiarrhythmic drug to break an episode, but can we use these devices to transform the concept into pill-in-the-pocket approach for DOAX, for example, when people can take the blood thinners as needed? That's yet to be proven, and it needs a lot of work, a lot of data. And I know Dr. Passman, for example, in Northwestern is leading a lot of uh, the work in this uh, regard. Again, none of these even ambitious ideas would have been possible without uh, the tools that we have right now at our hands. And uh, the key becomes to use them intelligently and to evolve the field even more rapidly.
0: So can use of digital technologies lead to better outcomes?
1: And that's probably the major need that we have right now. I, I think what you're seeing right now in the field, these are essential components of the process. But a lot of studies looking into validation, looking looking into proof of concept. A lot of mega studies that were conducted looked into screening the masses. You have the Apple Heart Study that enrolled close to half a million individuals. I wouldn't even call them patients because they were just smartwatch users to see how much uh, AFib can we detect in large population. We're yet to see the big studies looking at outcomes, which at the end of the day, what matters. And uh, many uh, physicians and leaders in the field, they challenge the whole digital health by show me the data. Can it lead to better outcome? Data can become noise if it's not going to lead to better outcomes. But I think we're seeing this evolving. And now you see some studies, some are already ongoing. You have, for example, the Heartline study, which is another big study looking at the use of smartwatch not just to detect atrial fibrillation but through innovative way of conducting a pragmatic study through claims data the study is going to look into outcomes including stroke including the use of anticoagulation so you are absolutely correct we need to look beyond just recording data beyond screening the healthy and look into outcome data and i think we're just seeing the beginning of this era
0: and then finally what is the potential of wearables from a research standpoint
1: Yeah, I mean, just like we've seen the uh, evolution of a lot of these wearables, if you are uh, involved in clinical research, you become adjusted to a lot of new terminology that we never thought uh, were even possible. Pragmatic studies, uh, direct-to-participant studies, sightless trial, uh, providing e-consent, virtual follow-up supported with these wearables. So um, we are always shackled by the cost of doing mega trials of this size because of the cost of the follow-up and cost of the devices and and all the logistics involved. With these direct-to-consumer products and different wearables, reaching out to participants, not only in one institute, but basically in the whole country, you can have an ambitious plan to conduct good studies with better outcomes and with measurable data. So I think it's gonna be extremely important in transforming the way that we conduct research. When it comes to our field in electrophysiology with digital technology and now with the patient's ability to see some data from their implantable devices, whether it's pacemakers or defibrillator, that also opens the door for a lot of the research involving these devices when patients through the app can also participate in a clinical study and that, again, avoids all the logistics of the follow-up, in-person visits, and you can conduct large studies at a lower cost in a very effective way.
0: Well, great. Thank you so much for your time today.
1: Thank you, Jody. My pleasure.
0: For more information and to see Dr. Tarakji's article in our August issue, please visit eplabdigest.com. This podcast is also available on SoundCloud. Thanks for listening.